0: This is John Halsman, and welcome to the latest Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast for our little local newspaper to the world, where we try to make sense of the beguiling new world that we find ourselves in. We've talked a lot about the failure of the blitzkrieg in Ukraine, but today we're going to start to look at some of the bigger picture consequences that have come out of Putin's failure. Almost all of them are bad from his points of view. He's actually woken Germany and the EU up from their long strategic nap where for two generations the Europeans pretended that history was over, took their peace dividend, and instead funded their lavishly ornate social network rather than actually paying for their defense. And shamefully, they were free-riding off the United States. But Putin, in doing what he did, has woken up the Germans, has woken up the EU, and has also revived the transatlantic alliance, particularly NATO, which is its epicenter, because NATO involves the United States, Anglosphere countries such as the UK and Canada, and European Union countries such as France and Germany. And it's amazing to think that not very long ago, people were talking about the end of NATO, And part of this was silly, McKinsey-like driven consulting. And it reminded me of IT people who continually do updates of computer systems that really aren't necessary, but are there merely to so they have sinecures, so they have jobs. And this happened a lot with NATO. The late Madeleine Albright, wrong about almost anything, the Paul Krugman of foreign policy, used to say, if NATO doesn't go out of area, it will go out of business. Of course, this shows absolutely no knowledge of history at all. And so everyone was trying to find a new purpose for NATO to keep it going, when really, the old purpose would have sufficed. Lord Ismay, a British diplomat at the founding of NATO and the Treaty of Washington in 1949, summed up the reasons for NATO perfectly. He said, the purpose of NATO is to keep the Americans in, the Russians out, and the Germans down. And this worked very well during the Cold War. But after the Cold War, people said, with the defeat of the Soviet Union, there is no threat. This is when stupid books like The End of History were coming out and neoconservatives thought history had ended and the U.S. would remain a unipolar force forever, that the world would be simply under American dominance, as if anyone who's ever traveled the place thought it was able to be tamed that easily. And that there was no purpose for NATO unless we found a new mission for NATO. And this shows absolutely no knowledge of history whatsoever. So this was one major problem. When everybody was looking for the new reason for NATO, the IT update, the old reason for NATO remained entirely valid. If we just change and tweak Lord Ismay's wording slightly, we get the new purpose for NATO, which is still to keep the Americans in still to keep the Russians out, and now to keep an integrated Germany integrated, keep them part of the Western alliance rather than heading off on their ruthless, mercantilist, economics-first isolationist neutralism, where such leading lights, and I use the term with utter scorn, such as their president, Frank Walter Steinmeier, who was foreign minister under two Merkel governments, did by cozying up to the Russians and then saying we can do nothing because we have to buy natural gas from the Russians, when in reality, it was a choice. It was German policy to buy cheap natural gas from the Russians without ever once asking if security of supply mattered. This man is the Stanley Baldwin, the Neville Chamberlain of his time, and President Zelensky of Ukraine is quite right not to be with him. He is the architect of a 30-year, know-nothing policy that's led us to the pretty past that we're in. And as part of this advantage, if you're neutralist, you don't have to spend any money on defense. And for 30 years now, Germans haven't, to the point that the German army presently, if it were engaged in Ukraine style fighting, meaning serious fighting, would only have enough ammunition to fight for two or three days. Let me repeat that. If the German army so hollowed out over having its budget taken so the Europeans can retire at the age of 14, um, has so eviscerated its military capability that if the German army were engaged in actual Ukraine-style fighting, it would last for about two or three days before it ran out of ammunition. They have become lotus eaters, and Frank-Walter Steinmeier, rather than being president of Germany, shouldn't be president of a lemonade stand. In republics, we should be judged by our call record, and certainly there are no internships here at John Halsman Enterprises for Steinmeier, and Zelensky is quite right not to meet with the man who is the architecture of this isolationist, mercantilist, economics-first Policy that's left Germany utterly useless and utterly hopeless in the face of Russia. And then the bad old days came because while people were looking for a reason for NATO to exist, Donald Trump, populist that he was, called the question and said, look, for 30 years the United States has been defending Europeans who often despise American soldiers from the safety of some cafe hating us while we provide them with freedom through NATO and indeed pay for NATO. And well over 60% of NATO spending is just the United States. And this is a horrible military imbalance, but more importantly, a political and social unbalance, imbalance that certainly can't last. And Trump named names, specifically great powers in Europe, great regional powers, such as Germany, Italy, and Spain, have been free riding off of American military largesse, for the better part of two generations. Better has been the attitude of the French, the British, and the Poles, but there are too many countries in NATO living off America. And in fact, before the Russian crisis, only eight countries out of NATO's 30 actually contribute the required 2% of spending. And this has been going on for a long time. In fact, the last time the Germans spent 2% of GDP on defense was far away 1991, while I was still in college. It's been that long, and their spending increases now merely bring them up to speed. But these were the battle days, and people said Trump's impatience um, at, NATO, at the lack of European spending. Europeans were offended. I was offended. They were offended. How dare they be offended for free riding off America? Trump merely called out what other presidents had more ineffectually mentioned, including Barack Obama, the Senate Obama, who said, indeed, the Europeans were free riding. But because he was Obama, no one listened. And because he was Obama, people still liked him in spite of what he was saying. But the difference between him and Trump on this point is one of style, not of substance. It is the substance that is offensive. But now, with Vladimir Putin, everyone has been awoken to this danger. And this has been the best thing to happen to NATO in a very, very long time. And you can see this across the board. The United States has deployed an extra 20,000 troops to Europe in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, bringing the American total to 100,000 soldiers stationed on the continent. Other NATO members, for once, have provided a further 40,000 troops in response to the Russian invasion. This is a real thing. This is tangible. This is not symbolic. NATO has deployed these additional troops to Eastern Europe, where multinational battlegrounds are already stationed in the Baltic states and Poland. Further battle groups will be established in Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania, and Slovakia, extending NATO's direct military presence from the Baltic to the Black Sea. NATO now has 40,000 troops under its direct command on Europe's eastern flank. This marks a tenfold increase, a tenfold increase in the size of the force since the Russian invasion began on February 24th. Again, this is real. Both Finland and Sweden, who have long not been members of NATO touting their neutrality, Uh, I've talked about applying for NATO membership as soon as this summer in a reaction to Russian aggression, which would raise the alliance's membership to 32 countries. For a long time, I have a very, very good friend in the high echelons of Swedish intelligence. And he said, look, the entire elite would want to involve, would want to be involved in NATO. It's our people who don't like it. And for 15 years, I traveled fruitlessly to Sweden, begging them to join, because for all intents and purposes, we share intelligence, dealing with the Russians. The Swedes have a wonderful Navy, they have a wonderful Air Force, and all of this is to the good, Um, and yet they wouldn't join. Well, guess what? All that's changed now, and the idea of neutrality is looking a little less inviting. Finland, for one, shares an 830-mile border with Russia. Its accession to NATO would oblige Russian President Vladimir Putin to further dilute his military concentrations as he would be obliged to move his already stretched troops to the new demarcation line with NATO. So this would be very helpful to the West. And European diplomats emphasize that these two Nordic countries would actually add security, would augment overall alliance capabilities, again, especially in terms of intelligence gathering and possessing a powerful Navy and Air Force. And for a long time, the elites have agreed to this privately over a drink, but suddenly their publics have come around seeing what's happening in Ukraine. In Finland, public support for joining NATO has increased to a decisive 62% in March, up a significant 19 points in just a month. Of course, this is because of Ukraine. That's the causation. And in Sweden, support for NATO membership has increased to around 50%. So what seemed impossible just months ago suddenly looks likely that these two Nordic countries join the alliance, as they really ought to have. I'm delighted about that. All of these tactical bits of military moves are part of, of course, a bigger strategic whole. As NATO Secretary General, the Abel Yen Stoltenberg puts it, the Alliance is making plans to deploy a permanent full-time military force on its easternmost members' borders to prevent further Russian expansionism as NATO adapts to what he calls the new reality. For a long time, we were careful not to forward deploy too many troops out of a fear of Russian sensibility. Now after Ukraine, we have to deploy these troops to protect it and the concern isn't the Russians' feelings, but the Central and Eastern European countries in NATO, how they feel about things. And this is quite right to move our troop forces to their borders. Stoltenberg has gone further saying Russian actions have provoked a fundamental transformation of the military coalition. Gone are the days when uh, Emmanuel Macron could say NATO was brain dead in his Gaullist fantasy that Europe could somehow supplant it. Now it's clear that the difference between chaos and being invaded by the Russians and not being invaded is NATO membership. Again, what was obvious or should have been obvious is now clear to even the dimmest analysts out there who were looking for a new purpose for NATO, when frankly the old purpose, stopping Russian adventurism, always sufficed. The U.S. accounts again for a disproportionate 69% of overall NATO spending. Let's watch to see if the Europeans lower this number over the next couple years. No one expects it to go down immediately, but it needs to steadily begin to become more evenly balanced um, as we move forward, particularly Germany, Italy, and Spain. Let's call out the laggards. Um, Within NATO, there are three basic subgroupings that have formed over the Russian invasion. And these can be seen as safe. The first group are the status quo powers, countries like France and Germany, who primarily want to prevent the war from spreading, reach a quick political settlement and restore trade with Russia. They're committed to the war, but also committed to ending it as soon as humanly possible. Second are the evangelicals, such as Poland, who don't care about the duration of the war so much as they care about rolling back Russian gains, even in the Donbass provinces in the east and making Ukraine whole, and if not part of NATO, which ideally they'd like, closely tied to NATO. And then third, the group is the balancers, such as the US and the UK, the old Anglosphere, who expect the invasion to turn into a quagmire and want to focus on sanctioning Russian energy, particularly natural gas, and grind the Kremlin down in economic terms. Because as Foreign Minister Joseph Burrell rightly put it the other day, for all the good that Europe has done for Ukraine, giving them a billion euro in aid, They've done an awful lot of bad in that Europe has given the Russian war machine 35 billion euros since the war started in payments for energy. And if we can do away with these payments, then we're on to something. But we see the problems within the alliance, even as it does become more unified and more capable. The status quo powers, such as France and Germany, and the balancers, such as the U.S. and U.K., Have ruled out nato establishing a no-fly zone in ukraine such as the evangelicals would like as that would carry the direct threat of confrontation with russia as we've said before alliance pilots to make a no-fly zone work would have to be prepared to shoot down russian planes and this is a total violation of the rules of the game since the cuban missile crisis which is that the russians and the americans do not directly confront each other that nuclear armed powers fight through proxies and don't fight directly one another but on the other hand, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has declined to sanction Russian natural gas as the balancers, the U.S. and the U.K., and the evangelicals, Poland and the Baltic states would want, saying that this would inevitably lead to a steep recession in Germany in particular, and the EU more generally. They're prepared to gradually, in a period of three or so years, wean themselves off of Russian gas, oil more quickly, but not to rip the Band-Aid immediately, as they think the economic costs would be too great. I would argue that's their own problem for not having a foreign policy for most of my lifetime and when they do, having useful idiots like Steinmeier for the Russians in charge of it, but that's where we are at the moment. On the good news front, the Russian invasion, though, has awoken Germany from its long strategic nap. For almost two generations a laggard in terms of defense spending, as we've said, Chancellor Schultz is dramatically, in direct response to the invasion, set up a special fund of 100 billion euros, nearly twice the annual defense budget to modernize Germany's armed forces. He's also committed to increasing Germany's defense spending from a pathetic 1.5% of GDP at present to the required 2%, again, for the first time since 1991, into my entire adult lifetime. Polling has shown that a decisive 78% of German voters support this dramatic about-face. So the days of Germany flirting hard with neutralism are over. And with Germany's flirtation with neutralism over, the European flirtation is over, and the EU is now back in the American camp, much as Russia is now back decisively in the Chinese camp. And this is a trade the United States would make any time. But this is desperately needed as the German army's capabilities are so poor that this new amount of money will merely bring them up to speed. It won't buy them anything advanced. It will deal with the hollowing out that has been going on for the last 30 years. It's better than nothing. And I don't want to criticize people who are finally doing what I want. But on the other hand... I've been laughed at my face when I've mentioned the things that have now come to pass. We should be accountable for our record, and anyone in German foreign policy ought to take a good hard look in the mirror as to whether they deserve their job today because they've allowed the rest of us to live with this horrible problem of their lotus-eating. But this is indeed springtime for NATO at the moment as the alliance has woken up to its original mission, gone back to the future, seeing that in going back, NATO's goal is the same: to stop Russian adventurism and to, bond, to bind together the three basic units of the West into one coherent military alliance. The Europeans in the EU is a great power. The Anglosphere in UK is a great power, and the United States is a superpower. And so suddenly, nothing is more urgent or important than NATO where just a year ago it was called a backwater, brain dead by President Macron and President Trump questioning its efficacy, now everyone is clamoring to join NATO, such as Finland and Sweden, and those in are awfully glad they are today. There's nothing like a crisis to remind you that life insurance, while unsexy, matters an awful lot. Thank you very much. It was fun to look at Vladimir Putin's massive mistake in reviving the NATO alliance, and it is indeed springtime for NATO. We're not out of the woods yet, but people have rediscovered history and in doing so, rediscover the efficacy of alliances. And as a lone voice in the wilderness for many years, I both want to scream, I told you so, have fired the people who got us in this mess, but more importantly and more positively, want to say, welcome back to the Europeans as we can get on with the business of stabilizing a world in desperate need of our norms. And so I'd like to end on that very positive note. For those of you who join this, please do subscribe. We've doubled our subscription in the last month because of the crisis, I imagine. But we're a full-time newspaper to the world now. On Monday, we give you Ukrainian vlog updates. Tuesday, we look at the culture. Presently, we're doing a romp through Hitchcock movies. Wednesday is Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we look at foreign policy. Thursday, my great friend J.L. Ryder takes care of the society. And Friday, my great friend Publius looks at the politics. To do this, we require money because we're shifting our resources to devoting ourselves to our ever-growing community, and we're thrilled to do this, but we need $70 a year for those of you who think this is worth half an espresso a month. $70 a year, and I promise you we will keep them coming. Thanks ever so much, and on to the next.